you're listening to This Is Wellness, the podcast where wellness looks different for everyone. We all suffer in one way or another, but what can we do to ensure we aren't comparing our suffering to others and negating our own experiences? Today, our hosts explore comparative suffering and how to ensure your wellness is safeguarded in a world of constant comparison. All right, everybody, welcome back to This Is Wellness. This is your co-host, Celeste Novatos. I'm here with my colleague, Sarah Polk. Hello. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Doing good. All right. So I hope you've been working out because (laughs) we are going to be talking today about the Suffering Olympics. Oh, fantastic. I should be really good at this one. (laughs) For those of you who are listening and going, what in the world are they talking about? We are going to be talking about comparative suffering and asking for what you need in order to be well. And doing our research before this, I found by Anthony Polonsky. If I said that wrong, I am so sorry. We will reference in the notes. But he is a professor of Holocaust studies, and he refers to comparative suffering as the quote-unquote suffering Olympics. And guess what? I don't want to gold, silver, or bronze in that game. No, that is not a podium I want to be on. No. And what we mean by that is folks who say things like, oh, you know, I'm having just a horrible day, or I didn't get the promotion I was hoping for, but, you know, there's this major hurricane going on in Puerto Rico and people are suffering, so I should just be grateful and just, oh, just shush. Like there's any glory in that. Yes. It also brings to mind when people try to do the whole comparative suffering of, I just really hate my job. You know, be grateful you even have one because my friend is looking for a job and she can't find anything. Yes. Right. So it brings it even a little bit closer to home, but it's still kind of one of those things like, but I can still be unhappy in my job Mm -hmm. without not feeling bad for this other person in that situation. I can be concerned for Puerto Rico and still not be happy with where I am. So let's talk about both of those things. First, I want to touch on what you said, this sort of, I know Brene Brown has something on this, the silver lining effect. Yes, the silver, well, at least you, I think her big one that she comes to is, I know you had a miscarriage, but at least you can get pregnant. And it's one of those of like, oh, hold on. That is not a silver lining here. Like back up, right? That's one that she comes back to frequently. Yeah. That silver lining effect. And I think, I know when I was younger, I was definitely guilty of it because it felt like my discomfort was just so awkward and so I was like well at least you have nice hair you know when you're little you just like you're trying and then as you get older you realize that the sort of cheap compliments or and it really it's a dig I know you don't mean for it to but it's a dig to say something like well at least you have a job if your sentence starts with well at least you should probably just stop right there yeah we've got a problem And I feel bad because I know that people who do this are genuinely trying to help. Yeah, like it's not coming from a a mal intent. Like there's no malicious intent to it. It is very much, I want to help this person feel better. And I think that reminding them of the fact that they do have it so good is going to help. When in reality, it just kind of undermines the fact that, no, this is still a pretty crummy situation for me. And now I feel stupid for even being upset about it. Yeah, I don't feel like my emotions are being validated here. Yeah, you already feel bad, and now you feel bad for feeling bad. Mm -hmm. No, super unhealthy. And we all know we don't need to feel worse. No. (laughs) We all feel bad enough. It's fine. (laughs) Nobody listening to this podcast is hoping to feel worse by the end of it. No. So thinking about that, and this is a cringy moment for some of us who maybe go, oh, I've done that. Mm -hmm. I've said that. And I will admit openly, I have done that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I'm not proud of it. No. And sometimes it happened just kind of so naturally because that is part of how, right, we learn from our mistakes. We grow. We, as a society, learn and shift and do better. Mm -hmm. 
This is us learning and shifting and being able to do better. When you know better, you do better. Exactly. And I think if you can catch it in time, for those of you who are going, oh no, I do that. If you can catch it in time, right? If it's been 10 years and you're like, hello, I'm so sorry. Like, no, it's no. Statue of limitations on that's expired. But if you're, you know, you and I are talking and you say something to me like that, like, oh, I just, I, I really wish I didn't kill one of my plants in my office. Like I've been working so hard on growing it. And I go, well, at least you can keep plants alive. I can't keep anything alive. And going, hold on. Let me catch that. I'm really sorry. I don't know why I said that. I think I was just nervous and I hate that I can't keep plants alive because I can't. <laughs> but that doesn't take away from the fact that you're really frustrated about it. And I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. You can catch it. There is yeah. a reconcile. Right? And you can just kind of course correct that right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even a couple days later. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, I'm really sorry. That was not me showing up for you in my best way. And I just want to apologize. You know, what can I do to help? Instead of just, well, at least... Right. It's just not helpful. So that's there's a comparative suffering point there. And then the other one, I don't know if it's minimizing or how would you define that that comparative suffering where it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm just not feeling great, but I should just get over it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in terms of that, especially when we compare ourselves to big other kind of grand scale suffering, Mm -hmm. You know, there's this going on halfway around the world and you should be grateful for where you are and what you're doing and things like that. My real question there is, is that productive? Mm -mm. Because I know when we first started talking about that, the thing that came to my mind was when your parents as a kid are like, you need to eat all your food because there are children starving in Africa. And I was a very defiant child. And I remember having that whole conversation of like, you know what? Fine, then send them this dry meatloaf. I don't want it. You did not. Oh, I did. Actually, I could totally hear you saying that. Yes. Whereas I was a guilt ridden child. So I was like crying and I'm like, I'm so sorry, children in Africa. Oh no. I was the one who was sitting there. It was like, you know what? Fine. You send them this meatloaf and mashed potatoes that I don't want to eat because I'm not going to eat it anyway. And I will sit. I would, I was the kid who had to sit at the table all night long. Oh wow. Waiting until I ate that meal. So, and did that help you at all? No, no. Or your parents. I'm sure they were thrilled about that. Oh yeah. Thrilled to have me sitting at the table, screaming and yelling. I'm sure. Yeah. And then just trying to add insult to injury of like, you know what? And this meatloaf is awful. (laughs) I bet the kids in Africa wouldn't even want this meatloaf, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Because I was a very empathetic eight year old, you know, but when you look at that, it doesn't help that argument. I know you're laughing at me now. and like little Sarah sitting there being like, and your meatloaf is awful. But it doesn't help anyone in that situation. No, right? not at all. It doesn't help the kids who are starving in Africa. And it doesn't help me sitting there when I don't want to eat whatever it is that's in front of me. Right. And instead, for for some people, it may make them feel that level of guilt mm-hmm. associated with it, which we all know that that level of guilt is not... No, at whatever level it is, mm-hmm. how productive is feeling guilty? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, there's never been a time where it's like, you know, it really was my guilt that made this a very productive and positive situation. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. So I think it really is trying to figure out, okay, how do we be productive about this? Right. Because those children who are, I'm sure, having, I mean, this is a global crisis, right? Famine, access to healthcare, access yeah. to food. I mean, we're not dismissing that being a problem at all, but it you eating your meatloaf is not going to solve it in that moment. And that's what we're trying to say, draw that connection there. So what I'm reading about in this topic is I know, and a lot of people have told me this, friends and family who are like, oh my gosh, I just, looking at their own pain and comparing it to others, 
and then being dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. For example, like, oh, I've just, I'm having a really hard day or I just feel so depressed. Like I just hate everything. I'm so down. I'm so out. But you know what? I have a job. I have a family who loves me and I should just, uh, I shouldn't complain. There's like almost like some shame to that. Yeah. Complaining shame. Like I shouldn't be feeling this bad because I have everything. And I know I've had family members say that too in the past. Oh, well, you know, God has blessed me with all of these things. So I shouldn't be allowed to feel sad. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we don't like the word should in therapy land. Never. That's not a good word for us. But to be dismissive of your own emotions, of your own pain by comparing it to something much more catastrophic than the situation you're in. And that's really what comparative suffering is. And it is not productive. It's dismissive and can fold and roll into bigger problems. Like I shouldn't feel sad. I shouldn't feel sad. Well, that shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't can roll into depression. Well, and it can roll into you opening yourself up to unnecessary suffering and even Mm. justifying it, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I shouldn't feel bad about or I shouldn't feel bad about the fact that this is what I'm experiencing. So therefore, it's not as bad as it really is. Mm -hmm. It can really undercut the fact that if you're suffering in that way, either because of someone else's actions, because of a situation, I come back to that idea that pain is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. When you twist your ankle, your ankle hurts as a receptor in your brain telling you, Hey, Sarah, stop walking on your ankle, you doofus, you're going to hurt yourself more. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about emotional pain, or I think about that other suffering, that's not to say that I'm not grateful that my other ankle isn't twisted. (laughs) But it is to say, I have to take a step back and take stock of where this pain is coming from, whether it's physical or emotional, Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be related to, and hold space for that. Yeah. Because if you don't take the time to address it and really identify where it's coming from, you're going to do more harm than good. Right. And I think that's where a lot of folks end up, you know, in our office sometimes, where it's like this guilt of, I finally feel bad enough about this that I guess I should feel yes. worthy enough to seek out mental health services. And it's mm-hmm. like, what? We could have talked about this a long time ago if you didn't beat yourself down about it. Like I've had clients who are like, I've been to three different cardiologists and they keep saying it's anxiety. It can't be anxiety. It has to be something worse. It can't be that stupid. I'm like, it's not stupid. It's your amygdala in your brain. Exactly. Let's talk about that. I love it when people say like, oh, but it's all in their head. And it's like, yeah, do you have any idea how important and how vital (laughs) that head is? Like everything's in your head. Right. Literally every part of your life is in your head. Right. It's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. Hold that sacred space for what it can do. And that's how you heal. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't say that to somebody who just got, I don't know, a cancer diagnosis. Like, oh, just wait it out. See if it gets better. I'm sorry. I can't even say that with a straight I face. I know. Like, you would never say Or if say someone that has, you know, broken their ankle and it's like, just walk it off. It's like, yes. no, this is broken. Yeah. This is not working. Right. And I think we, we do that to ourselves a lot where we shame ourselves into feeling like we should feel better. And it just develops this immense amount of guilt. Like I shouldn't feel this way. I'm, you know, I'm just so blessed and so lucky to even have my basic needs met. And yes, you are. I'm not dismissing that. You've worked really hard to get here, but not but. And it's okay to say that there are things you wish were different or want to work to improve. Nothing is saying you can't do that. And I hear a lot about that too in conversations with friends. If somebody says, oh my gosh, I have cancer. And you're like, well, at least it's not diabetes. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're missing the point. Yeah. Back up. Back up. Missing the point here. But I hear that with friends and girlfriends of mine when we get together and they're like, yeah, I'm just having a really hard time with this, you know, with my, my husband, let's say, 
oh, but you're going through this other thing. I'm so sorry. I don't want to talk about it. It's like, there's room for all of it. So we can talk about your marital issues, whatever that is. And we can talk about her, whatever she is going through. And I see that a lot more in group settings where it's like, oh, well, I don't have it quote unquote as bad as them. So I'm just going to stay quiet. Yeah. But suffering in silence is awful. And it, it's it, it so makes alienating it and yeah. isolating. Yeah. Because then you're sitting there and A, you aren't being able to bounce that. And remember, we've talked about this too. If sometimes you just want to be able to talk about what your suffering is, you aren't yeah. necessarily looking for answers. And mm-hmm. we all need to be better about holding that space too. But sometimes even just having someone validate it. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that relationship with your mother sounds really tough. Yeah. And I'm here for you. And if there is something I can do, but otherwise I'm here to listen. Yeah. Because it it offers the ability to even form those words. How many times have you had a concept in your head that you think you had it all figured out? And as (laughs) soon as you tried to explain it, you had to figure out other like strands of it Mm -hmm. that to get your point across. And it made you think about it a different way. Right. I don't know how many times I've had these concepts in my mind. And then as soon as I go to say it out loud, I'm like, oh, wow, that is not at all accurate. That is not an accurate portrayal of what this is. Mm -hmm. And so even just the ability to hold that space for someone can offer no answers, but it can help them sort through it themselves. And going back to the suffering Olympics, this concept, this is something I get a lot, probably more in my personal life. Actually, no, you all do this to me sometimes too. Like, I just, I know you're so busy, so I don't want to bother you. Or I just, I know you have so much going on, so I I just don't want, I'm like, to trouble you. And I'm like, is there a threshold? Like, oh, you have a gold medal in suffering. Now you get to come have dinner with me and talk about whatever's going on. Like, no, because I want to come to you when it's something maybe a lot smaller and just complain or tell you how frustrated I am about it. I don't want it to be a situation that is so bad that you're like, dude, why didn't you just tell me this? We could have talked about this a lot sooner. Yeah. And I think there's this weird threshold or rank or gold medal where we're like, now I am quote unquote bad enough or I'm in a bad enough space that now I can talk to somebody about it. And it's like, wait, we could have done this a lot sooner. Yeah, the difference between the preventive versus the reactive. Exactly. And that's really why I wanted to talk about this today. And I had dinner with a a girlfriend of mine pretty recently. And and she said that, like, I just, you know, something's going on in personal life. She's like, I just, I know you're so busy. Now you have something so much going on and you're helping other people. I just felt like this was trivial. I was like, oh my God, no, it's not. If it's bothering you, it's bothering me. Because Mm -hmm. I love and care about you, you love and care about me. Let's talk about this. It does not have to be devastating in order to to talk about it yeah, is my point. What have you seen in maybe your friends or your group circles where you've seen that dismissive or that struggle where people are like, oh, it's not that big of a deal? Well, and frequently what I'll see is also people trying to connect and they accidentally minimize by saying like, oh yeah, I have something similar going on in my marriage. And they'll even, and it's funny because my friends Most of my friends have like ADHD where they do that thing where they'll like interrupt and kind of try to figure out how to identify it and for themselves. They're like, not to make it about me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not trying to make this about me Mm -mm. because you're talking about what's going on with your spouse. I'm trying to help you see where I identify or whatever. Yeah. To make that connection. And even then trying to say like, well, but I'm not trying to take your suffering away from you and and almost trying to overcorrect in the opposite direction because we've all had these conversations and even kind of said like, well, these are times where I feel like you aren't really listening to me and Mm -hmm. and things like that. But what I have found frequently is it will be things that are these big, broad concepts of, well, I 
don't have a job that I love. You, I know you have a job that you love, even Mm -hmm. though it sounds like it's difficult, but you know, you should be okay with it being that difficult for you. And kind of things along those lines where Mm -hmm. it's that the silver lining, but almost to the extreme of like, well, you deserve that suffering because of the fact that. Oof. Yeah. And it winds up being one of those things of you asked for this, you wanted this. And it's a different kind of blame or shame, Mm -hmm. which now that I'm like saying this out loud, I'm like, man, that that really grinds my gears. Hold on. (laughs) Right. And but being able to look at it in that way of we don't have to we also don't have to feel shame and saying, you know, I want it to be like this or I want it to be different. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would argue if we're thinking about the idea of like numbness or not being willing to change, that is a big sign of we should always be trying to improve. There should always be that improvement or ability to modify and make things better at all different levels. Yeah. So I think it's one of those things that comes back to also identifying how you're surrounding yourself with people and how you're communicating Mm -hmm. in terms of that, both for yourself as well as how they're communicating with you. Yeah. And being open and honest about that conversation. Because I think with this concept of like the suffering Olympics, I don't know that there's any winner. No. Ever. That was going to be the closing thought. Yeah, guess what? There's no winner. <laughs> guess what? There's no winner. Sorry, I jumped the gun there for that. Well, you get a default now because you went before the whistle. <sighs> Sorry. So am I on the podium or off the podium? Wait You're a second. Off. What does that mean? You're off. I don't even have the chance to get on the podium. <laughs> so my suffering is so bad I disqualify. <laughs> oh, my goodness. People who don't get these analogies are going to be like, what are they talking about? Okay. So going back, though, to your conversation and who you surround yourself with. And that's what I'm thinking a lot about. And I I keep bringing up parenting examples, which is kind of hilarious because I don't have kids, but I have enough friends who are parents that I hear this where they're saying things like, you know, my kiddo needs to go to play therapy. We use that. And my child needs to go to play therapy. They're displaying a couple symptoms of ADHD. And I'm just, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on where one of the other women in the group had a miscarriage or is having trouble conceiving Mm -hmm. and it's like oh I'm so sorry I don't want to talk about that I know this is hard for you it's like wait why can why is it so difficult to hold space for both like we can say oh man how's that play therapy going how's ADHD diagnosis and working through that that must be really hard as a parent discovering that learning new coping skills and we can also hold space for the mother or mother-to-be trying to conceive Mm -hmm. I think this notion of once you run out of empathy for problems like you're out like oh this conversation's over we are giving all of the attention to the mother who's having trouble conceiving and you get none like that's not how conversations it's a pie work. that runs out There's, yeah. there are only so many pieces of pie to go around and that's not the case at all no if anything i've seen the beauty of conversations where the mother's having trouble go yeah but if i do you know eventually have a kiddo i want to know what's on the horizon mm-hmm. tell me what it's like to have a four-year-old and go through this i want to hear that and i've, I've had the pleasure I think of being the non-parent in those groups, watching this dynamic and just trying to validate everybody in the room or everybody in the circle. And it's been on my mind a lot lately. And I want to invite other people to know that that's okay, that you can have conversations, difficult, uncomfortable ones, and you can hold space for everybody, whoever is suffering and whatever their suffering may be, because it's all relative. And it can also be part of the how we identify with each other, how we make those connections and holding that space of my suffering looks a little bit different from yours. Mm -hmm. But we're all kind of making it. We're all kind of trying to survive it. I know we talked about that during the pandemic where Mm -hmm. the pandemic suffering that different people experienced 
was very different. It was very different for someone who was like frontline versus the struggle for people who were working remotely unexpectedly Mm -hmm. versus the people who are working from home and having to also be a teacher in Mm -hmm. that situation. And there isn't really a a winner in any way, Mm -mm. but that doesn't mean that sounds really negative, but it doesn't mean that we can't lose together and make that an easier experience or a healthier experience overall. And the point is, that's you're great. What my point was in that is that we're stronger together. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Like if we can all cross that finish line together, then we're stronger, we're better for it. And I'm going to do a better job of supporting you and knowing that you can support me. Because if I feel like things are off limits, and I can't bring that topic up, how deep is our friendship going to go? Yeah. You know, and if I know that you can hear me out for the heavier stuff and the lighter stuff and it's and it's okay, it's just going to strengthen our dynamic, our relationship, and we're better supports to each other. Also, I would argue that suffering and struggling isn't a once in every four years event, right? It's a constant thing that we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be times where I really need you to help me across that finish line and other times where you really need me to help across that finish line, even though I'm disqualified now, according to you. But yeah, well, so not going to be there. But really, if we all cross at the same time, then there is no podium. Right. Right. And we don't, we're not in competition, which is okay. And we don't want to compete over suffering. No, that is not a trophy I want to win. No. It's all losers at the Mm -hmm. end of it. Mm -hmm. So we invite you to have these conversations with people you trust and know and love and talk about the topic of comparative suffering. I know every time I introduce that phrase to new people, they're like, what is that? And it just opens up the dialogue to be able to say, I want to talk about this. You should be able to talk about this too. Let's all talk about it together because we are stronger together. I like that. That's a good note to end on. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. This is Wellness is a podcast by Emergence Health Network. It's hosted by Celeste Nevadez and Sarah Polk. Audio production by Andrew J. Polk and produced by Ashley Sandoval.